Good morning, everyone. Welcome here. Good to see all of you here this morning. Any guests that we have here, we are glad that you've joined us. Look forward to a good service together. Also to those who are listening to our service later on or watching our service later on, we're glad that you've joined us as well. So thank you for being here. Some of you may have heard of a, an underwater search and rescue team uh, called HART. HART stands for Hatterian Emergency Aquatic Response Team. HART is based in one of the Hutterite colonies in Manitoba, and they're often called upon to assist when a drowning situation occurs. And so a couple of days ago, I had the privilege of meeting a couple of the guys who are involved with this team. And they explained some of the work that they do and some of the equipment that they use, and it was very interesting. And they said that when they're involved in a, in a search and rescue operation, they depend on God completely for for help in, in, in the work that they're doing, in, in the search that they're doing, and in the results. And they are quick to give him the glory. Sometimes they work together with search and rescue teams from other provinces. And they are very open about sharing their faith with them as well. And as, as they have opportunity, they also share their faith with the family of a drowning victim. But they also mentioned that they're never aggressive with sharing their faith. They said that there is a time to talk and a time not to talk. In 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 17, Paul says that we are the aroma of Christ. And as I thought about these guys and the work that they do, I thought they are the aroma of Christ as they go about their search and rescue work. And that's also what we want to be as we go about our daily lives, as we go about each day. So for opening scripture, I thought I would read 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have of representing you to those around us. Forgive us, Lord, for the many times that we stumble and maybe haven't spoken up when we have had the opportunity. And Lord, grant us discernment for those times when it's not so much our words that are important, 
but maybe even just being there is all we need to do. So Lord, whether it's by our words or by our actions, help us to be the aroma of Christ to those around us. Amen. Ask the ladies to come up and lead us in singing. Good morning. I'll ask that you stand with us and we'll start with number 529, Come We That Love the Lord. a seat. Before we sing this next song, I'd like to read a few verses from Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. 
in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Let's sing, Be Unto Your Name.
This morning we have Abe Jansen with us from the Southman Gleaners Board. Um, these, these guys have taken a giant leap of faith and just recently our church has decided to step beside them and give them some support. So I now would ask Abe to come up and share about the, the Gleaners ministry that they're starting up here in Southern Manitoba. Good morning. 
As was mentioned, uh, we're Abe and Helen, my wife is here too, we hail from Hochfeld, and uh, I'm here to represent cleaners. I thank you for the invite, Meyer, and for, for your uh, willingness to consider us supporting us. So who are we, and what do we expect to do? Some of you I know are familiar with Gleaners. There are eight other Gleaner organizations in Canada, three of them in BC, two in Alberta, one in the north, one in the south, and three in Ontario. But there was none here. And so a gentleman from La Crete, who is a brother-in-law to George Wheeler, who some of you will know from uh, his involvement in Delmar Commodities, uh, challenged him to set up something like that here. And uh, George is a friend of mine, actually a relative. Uh, we sometimes meet in the coffee shop. And I happened to be in the coffee shop once too often. He asked me to come out and uh, partake in a, in a meeting. We had 20 gentlemen uh, met in June. They all thought it was a good idea. And so what do you do with good ideas? You have to try and put wheels on them so they go somewhere. And so I've become involved. Uh, George said uh, at the beginning that he saw three main areas that were needed. One was a volunteer base, which Winkler is famous for. The other one was product. We have a lot of potatoes, and there's uh, other onions, carrots in the portage area. They've already agreed to help supply us with, with some of that stuff. And he says money, also quite readily available in Winkler. Uh, but money does no good if it's not in generous hands for other people. What we have generosity here as well. So we uh, are having meetings um, monthly. We have a six-member board, and this morning those six would be attending five different churches, so it's not a church thing. It's a, a, broad, a broader than that. And uh, so, where do we get our inspiration from? Let's see if I can read this to you quickly. It's found in Leviticus 23:22. And when ye reap the harvest of your land, you shall not make clean riddance of the corners of your field when you reap. Neither shall you gather any gleanings of the harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So that's where we find the, find the idea of, of uh, saving some. Now, what will we be utilizing? We all know that when we harvest, there are some things that look different, uh, and, and it's not marketable. So it's, it's called out. out. And, uh, and what is that used for nowadays? Well, some goes back to the field. Some is used for cattle feed, which is not a bad idea. But we thought that uh, salvaging some of that food for humans is, is even better than that. So how do we expect to do that? Well, you gather these uh, off-grade, or it could be something that maybe has to, something has to be cut off. And we, we dice it up into small pieces, and then we dehydrate it. The dehydration process is going to be the major part of it, cost-wise. The machine is roughly eight feet by eight feet by 40 feet long. And these uh, small cubes go through there, and when they come out, it's dehydrated. This is our end product. 
It's less than, it's somewhere around a six to eight percent moisture, meaning it's now lighter weight for shipping. Uh, it's got a long shelf life. And this bag is about three pounds, I've been told, and uh, supposedly it's enough to give a hundred people soup. Now, this may not be something that you desire for this, for your noon meal today. It's not a gourmet meal, but it's intended for people who are in dire straits, who are maybe in a war zone. Our product, this product has gone out to Ukraine. It's gone out to Cuba, Haiti, Guatemala. I've seen a list this long of places that are uh, utilizing this. And so, uh, so that's where we come in. James 2, verse 17 and 18 reads, Even so faith, if it has not works, it is dead being alone. Yes, a man may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Where do we expect to do this? Well, our, uh, one of our uh, board members bought a place in Reinfeldt, with a, which has a fair-sized shop on it, and we're uh, currently in the process of developing that. We've been, had to deal with Meyer, and he's going to, he has already told us some things we need to do, and we're doing those now. Um, and so the, uh, on the legal side, that's where we've done a lot of our work. Uh, we've met with, uh, with uh, Manitoba Health to see what kind of guidelines they have, and, uh, and so forth. But we have a soft startup date for this fall. See if we can get things going uh, soon enough. So we invite you, invite you to get involved later on by volunteering. Uh, maybe uh, churches will decide to come help us once a month. What, however that will work, we're not sure. And, and financially, uh, there, there, there's no single person that's going to make this fly. It's, it's going to take a lot of money. We have somewhere, I have, I'll have brochures outside later on, it's going to take somewhere around $700,000 to get us established, going. And so, so uh, it's a big task, but it works in other places, and I, I, Winkler is known for making the impossible happen. Uh, we, ha we don't have our registered charity number yet, we have applied, but we are on board with the Great Commission Foundation. Some of you will be familiar with that. It's an, uh, a mission oversight organization that uh, makes sure that you comply with the Canada Revenue Agency guidelines. And so th that's who we're signed up for with for now. So I thank you for your time and, uh, and hope to speak to some of you. And uh, thank you again for your involvement. Thanks, Abe. Appreciate you being here and, and sharing with us about your organization. Take a brief look at our bulletin. And on the top of page two, you'll note that we're planning to have baptism next Sunday. So that's exciting. So we have two people that are preparing for baptism. Their names are at the bottom or lower down on the page, Jay Fraze and Mackenzie Martin. So let's remember them this week as they prepare for that. And also near the top of the page, uh, uh, some items for next Sunday, and, and one of the items is Children's Sunday School is starting. So that's exciting as well. So let's remember that and pray for that. Uh, under this week at Winkler Birth Teller, for those of you that signed up for the Friendship Banquet, that is tomorrow evening, 6.30. 
and then a few other items uh, happening uh, during the week, so please take note of those. Our missionaries of the week are uh, K&K, and uh, we, we talked about being the aroma of Christ, and, and uh, they and their children are the aroma of Christ in the city and the neighborhood that they're working in. Many people come to their door, people looking for help, looking for wisdom, guidance, just to talk, and so let's continue to remember them and, and other missionaries that have gone out from our church. Little lower down, under persons with health needs, we have uh, two that are in Swan Lake Hospital. Uh, Mary Duick and John Suderman are there, and also uh, Tina Suderman, who was in Altona, has been transferred to Salem Home, so we're happy for her that, that she can be there. And top of page three, just a reminder, Susan, our Secretary is away on, on holidays this week, so Carrie Martins and Eileen Engbrecht are filling in for her. And uh, ushers, if you're ready, you can come forward. Uh, one more in the middle of the page there, custodian position. The personnel committee is looking for a full-time custodian. So if you or someone you know of might be interested in that, uh, inquiries can be directed to Edwin. Edmund Siemens. Ask you to read the rest of the announcements on your own. Let's bow to pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are such a good and loving God. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us, even though we often fail you. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you that because he was willing to die on the cross in our place, our sins have been forgiven. Father, we pray for Kay and Kay and their children, and we ask your continued protection over them and your blessing upon them as they, as we've already said, are the aroma of Christ to a part of the world that is not always friendly to believers. Lord, may those who hear the gospel message or see it lived through them be drawn to you and have the courage to make the decision to ask you into their hearts. Father, we thank you for the work of Southern Gleaners, for the group that is um, establishing operations here in our area. Father, we ask that you would guide them as they do that, grant them wisdom, and just pray that you would bless them as they serve you in that way. We pray for the volunteers of the Winkler Food Cupboard, and God, we thank you for them, and ask that you would help them as they serve with joy uh, the people who are in need in our community. Thank you, Father, for Jay and Mackenzie, and we pray for them as they prepare for baptism. Grant them a good week and a sense of your presence as they prepare for next Sunday. And God, we pray that their relationship with you would continue to grow in the months and years ahead. We pray, Father, for Mary Duick and John Suderman in Swan Lake Hospital. Lord, we ask that you would grant them strength for each day, that you would grant them patience as they wait, 
and a sense of your presence. And Lord, we pray for your protection for their families and also for others as they travel to visit them. And Lord, we know that there are a number of folks who are at home and are dealing with health concerns and you know the needs of each one and we just ask that you would meet those needs. Lord, we ask that you would continue to guide us as a church. We ask for your help as we seek to be faithful to you and to your word. Be with Pastor Victor as he brings the message this morning. Grant him the words to say and clear our minds of any distractions as we listen. Now, Father, as we give our offering, we thank you that we are able to give. Help us to give with joy, and may our gifts be used to further your work. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Scripture reading this morning is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Thank you, Abe, for uh, sharing with us about gleaning. Um, we talk about the harvest and gleaning comes after the harvest, I guess. And uh, what I want to talk about here this morning has to do a little bit more with the gardening before the harvest. And as you see from the title in the bulletin, uh, it's ministering to those who reject God's design. Now, this doesn't always mean that they reject God, but they somehow, uh, people don't think they fit the design. Two weeks ago, I asked the question, what is the problem? Uh, the reason I asked that is because we are witnessing our culture move hard and fast in a direction that is contrary to Scripture and contrary to who God is. If that is what our society is doing, then it is also in moral opposition to God. I concluded from a look at Romans that we as a society have stopped worshiping God we have exchanged the truth about God for a lie, the eternal for the temporary, and worshiped the creature rather than the creator. As a society, that's what we have done. And I concluded that that was the problem. Before that, you have, uh, in several messages uh, before Christmas, you heard me talk about God's design for male and female, as seen in the image of God, both in marriage and in the individual. And when we do that, we again find ourselves in conflict with our culture because of its moral opposition. <clears throat> so having identified the problem and looked at God's design, we understand that there are people who either reject God's design or maybe don't reject it, but just feel like they don't, they don't fit in. They don't fit the design. It wasn't made for them, or they're not made for it. So this morning I want to talk about ministering to those people. How do we do it? I'm sure there are most of us here who have somebody in our families or circle of friends who feels they don't fit the design. Anyone here who knows somebody? I do. Yeah, a lot of your hands are going up. So this is good for us to talk about. Yesterday, 
Eileen and I uh, took some of our youth to a youth conference uh, at Grace Church, an apologetics conference. <clears throat> and uh, there we heard a lot of talk about how do we engage with our culture to talk to people uh, who are they're not at all interested in the design, but how do we reach them? How do we connect with them? And how do we actually defend the truth of the Word of God? Because to them, it just... It, as soon as they hear it, it's, they, they call it um, hate literature or, right, they, they sense that they're unsafe and that it's not, not where they want to go. On the day of his resurrection from the dead, Jesus appeared to his disciples. And John recorded it like this. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews... Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. <clears throat> Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. We are sent. As Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors to bring them the good news, we too are sent to the sinners and tax collectors of our day. If that wasn't the case, this discussion would be a whole lot easier. We could uh, simply separate ourselves from the ungodly so that we wouldn't become tainted by the world, then everything would be fine, right? <laughs> our people have tried that before. But this is not the Jesus way. Jesus walked in a messy world just like we do. And not all our encounters will be satisfyingly tidy. It requires humility, a considerable amount of humility, grace, and perseverance to do the real work of being a sent people. So how do we minister to those who reject God's design or feel that they don't fit? A huge part of the challenge for us is that other believers have done and said things to people that are not at all loving. Perceptions have been formed and walls have been built, and there is a resistance in the people we're trying to reach. There's a resistance to anything Christian. Already messy before we start. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 to 15, Paul wrote that Jesus has equipped us for the work of ministry so that we might speak the truth in love. Many have sought to speak the truth to those who reject it or think they don't fit the design, but they have failed to communicate love, and quite possibly because there was none. <clears throat> it seems that truth and love need to go hand in hand, since the command is to do them together. Let's investigate that for a moment. God is love, the Bible says. If we represent God well, we will have to love people to present God to them so that they understand him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If we're going to represent the Son well, we will need to speak the truth. So, God the Father is love, we read. God the Son is truth, 
The Bible says, but the two are one. In Deuteronomy 6, 4, we read, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Jesus likewise said, I and the Father are one, John 10, 30. These verses suggest to us that love and truth are only separable as far as one can tear apart the Godhead. To offer truth without love is to offer an incomplete and distorted Jesus. And this has happened all too often by Christians who are primarily interested in communicating truth, that this is sin and this is not, right? Just speaking the truth. But what ends up happening is that God is misrepresented. And we know that God hates to be misrepresented. And we do a great disservice to God when we speak truth and do not love. Eric Metaxas, in his recent book, Letter to the American Church, wrote this. Truth is a person. And God knows that unless we understand this, we have no idea what truth is. And unless we know that truth is inextricably intertwined with love, we also have no idea what truth is. Finally, unless we also know that love is inextricably intertwined with truth, we have no idea what love is. We always and ever stray from God in attempting to dissect truth or love in this way. And in so doing, we must kill it every time. To follow the parallel, we crucify God every time. It is nothing less than sin to say that we have our own fallen view of truth apart from love or love apart from truth. God demands that we deal with the whole, that we understand truth and love are God himself, who is a person. Well, if love and truth are inextricably intertwined, and if truth and love are a person, then we need to have a relationship with this person, whereby we will know him, we will know his desires, we will know his priorities. And what are they? Well, I did a little search for some of Jesus' statements about why he came to earth. And here are a few. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. From Luke 19.10. He came that we may have life. John 10.10. He came to bear witness to the truth. John 18.37. He came to prepare for judgment. John 9.39. And he came to bring glory to the Father. John 5.30. And in 2 Peter 3, verse 9 we read, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Truth and love have sent us to seek the lost and to present the truth in love that all might reach repentance. This is what God wants us to do. We cannot set out only to speak truth. We cannot be like the man who says, I just tell it like it is, 
as though there is no accountability for how we say things. Let me make a few general statements about our current situation before I uh, get a little bit more specific about how to minister in this culture. At the hands of truth-speaking Christians, the whole queer community and women who have had abortions have experienced judgment and accusation and condemnation and hatred and rejection and abuse. And we might even add to this list people who have been divorced. They have been treated unkindly and without mercy. This has left many of them feeling rejected, angry and bitter, and they get cynical and, or, or at best are apathetic toward Christianity. Christian faith has become irrelevant to them due to their encounters with unloving Christians. Their view of Christians and the church is understandable. So now, what are we to do? <clears throat> Generally, when we speak to people who live and support the sex and death culture, we are not speaking to people who accept the word of God as having any overriding truth for their lives, except for the one thing that they misuse and misunderstand, that we should love each other. It would seem that they have indoctrinated themselves with the idea that love means acceptance of person and practice. And the failure to do so then constitutes hatred. But if you disagree with their ideology, that is usually met with intolerance and hatred on their part. And I suspect that they do not preach love because they believe the word of God to be true, but because they demand acceptance of their practices. Their love is divorced from truth, just like those Christians whose truth is divorced from love. Both sides of that equation have torn Jesus apart to emphasize their own points of view and to shame the other. There is no winning and no honor in that scenario. The devil's tactic, or at least one of them, in the Christian community, is to shame the church for its unchristian words and deeds and attitudes, demanding that we repent and love and accept those who have been so mistreated. And many Christians have responded as demanded, but also have cast all discernment to the wind to somehow make up for the gross sins of the church on these matters. The problem for loving, truth-telling Christians is that most of the church seems to be drinking the devil's Kool-Aid. Recently, the Archbishop of Canterbury, who is the top official in the Anglican Worldwide Church, declared a decision to allow the blessing of same-sex unions by its priests. Now, the Anglican communion is worldwide is divided into 42 provinces, they call them, each headed by a regional archbishop. Only 12 of the 42 archbishops expressed their disapproval. And the Church of England chose to respond by breaking communion with those provinces. 
because they want to remain faithful to their historic biblical faith. Imagine that, eh? 12 of the 42, that's 28%. That's how much of the church wants to be faithful. Most of the church has joined the pride movement to condemn those Christians who have not accepted the practices and lifestyles of the queer community and the death cult. Our struggle is definitely an uphill battle. And as we've already read, Christians are instructed to speak the truth in love. So what does that look like? Does that mean following a parade parade, parade, sorry, pride parade with a Jesus parade? Does it mean becoming an activist and working against all the initiatives of the queer community for the good of the wider community? Maybe it means getting more involved politically or that we, the church calls more open air public prayer meetings to work against the agenda of the queer and death cult. I'm not actually suggesting we do any of those things, but those are ideas that get floated from time to time. So what is a good response? How do we respond to this? There are three scenarios to prepare for. When I wrote my sermon, I had three. Now there's actually a fourth. <laughs> so I'll try and tuck that in yet at the end. Uh, one is our public response. One is a private response. One is a response to people who claim to believe in Jesus yet preach false doctrine. And really that needs to be divided into two groups because among those who claim to be believe in Jesus yet follow the pride movement, there are the leaders and there are the followers. And I think we even need to hold those differently in our approach. So publicly, I'm not convinced Jesus had any, uh, well, given Jesus' level of engagement with Rome, I don't think we need to look for any way to make public statements. Activism, protests, and debates are not going to accomplish Jesus' priorities. I take direction from the account of King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20. There the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir came against uh, Jehoshaphat for battle. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. And he declared a fast when he found out this news. He declared a fast for all Judah and sought the Lord in prayer. And the spirit of the Lord came upon a certain Levite man and that man said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but the Lord's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle, Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Well, the next morning they were up early, and they went, headed south out of Jerusalem to the wilderness of Tekoa to meet their enemies. 
And they did something very interesting. In front of the army, they put singers in holy attire to sing to the Lord and to give him praise. Listen to what happened next. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who had come up against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. <clears throat> and God's people were standing there, holding their ground. So I, I wonder, is the battle of the morality of our culture our battle? They have rejected the design and the designer. Is it not the Lord's battle? This is not to say that we simply disregard the problem and do nothing. Notice that the people of Judah did not do nothing. They prepared for battle. They went out to meet the enemy that had come against them. And then they acknowledged the God of heaven. Their praises were put on the front line ahead of the army. And the first thing that the enemy saw was their confidence in their God and their high esteem for their God. So publicly, I think we esteem our God by being the image of God as he created us to be. Doing right in the eyes of the Lord. Acting like men and women. Obeying his word. Marrying and staying married having children, and teaching them also to walk in the ways of the Lord. And then, for those who are celibate, or sort of for those who are not married, to remain celibate. All these things are part of our witness of the image of God, which he declares to the world. I think in doing that, we demonstrate that we trust him completely. We don't need to look for confrontations. If we are faithful in our living, confrontations will come to us. Then with joy and confidence, we can go to the battle line and stand there in the name of Jesus. Another thing we do for public confrontation is prepare. We need to know our God. Know Jesus, know your scriptures, and actually hone your skills in the art of debate. Now, debate doesn't mean fight. Debate means presenting a reason for why you believe what you believe. Debate is an exchange of ideas. So just because you get into that, don't think that you're getting into a fight. You're just presenting. Here's what I think. Here's why I think it. Do it winsomely. Do it respectfully. Do it joyfully. Do it willingly and demonstrate in your listening to those who confront you that you love them. Remember what we read in 1 Peter 3.15. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now let's look at our approach on a personal level. 
And here are some guidelines for approaching a person who thinks differently than you do and does not share your worldview. <clears throat> Remember that the basic need for all people is a relationship with Jesus. You don't need to condemn a person's ways. You don't need to accuse them of sin or judge their souls. These people already feel condemned. Satan already accuses them. Don't join him in his work. And the judging of souls belongs to the creator of souls. People need Jesus. We need to remember that. Number two, do not make assumptions about the person you're talking to. Each person has their own story. Each one has their own story of how they got where they are, and each one has their own reasons for being where they are. These people may be spiritually blind, but they're still created in God's image, with a mind to think and a will to choose. And just like God respects our choices, we need to respect the choices of others also. But ask questions and let people tell you who they are and then treat them with dignity. That's number two. Number three, these people are not our enemies. <laughs> they may be deceived and they may be defiant, but they're not our enemies. They act like enemies of God, but they are not our enemies. Paul wrote, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And don't forget that the enemy holds these people captive. Be kind to them. And tell them that there is a God in heaven who loves them. Number four, remember that the queer community and the death cult are full of hurting people. The physical, emotional, or spiritual conditions under which many of them have grown up do not produce healthy, well-adjusted people who have developed a biblical worldview. When you're dealing with hurting people, again, listen to their stories. Try to understand their pain and their sorrow. Be gentle with them and merciful. In Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Love your enemies, do good, lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, this is the line I want you to get. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your heavenly Father is merciful. Number five, remember that you cannot fix anyone. Neither are you responsible to fix anyone. You cannot argue someone into the kingdom. You cannot convict another person's heart. You cannot make someone repent and change their ways. You cannot fix anyone. What you can do is love that person. Build a relationship with that person. 
listen to that person, and then wait for the opportunity to present your reasons for what you believe. Which means you will need to listen before you talk. If people are not listened to, they don't, they don't have ears for you either. You need to have ears for these people. A rich ruler came to Jesus and asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And after Jesus answered him, that ruler went away disheartened and he went away sorrowful. Even Jesus could not fix that man. Number six, come to them in humility. Like one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Do not think yourself morally superior. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you're not humble, people will see right through you, and you will have nothing to say. Build relationships is what we need to do. As part of the youth conference yesterday, we listened to a guy who talked about his interactions. He says, for 30 years, I have not prayed the prayer of repentance with another person in trying to lead them to Christ. He said, in fact, most of the time, I don't even get to telling them the gospel. And he described it as gardening. His aim was to put a pebble in somebody's shoe, to give them something to think about, to help them think differently about life. This isn't to say that he doesn't lead people to Christ or that we sh shouldn't or, or can somehow avoid it. But what he's saying is most of the work of relationship is cultivating. And we need to be gardeners and cultivate relationship, cultivate uh, a mind, uh, or how do I say this? Cultivate opportunity for people to be able to uh, to change their worldview. The last scenario is confronting people who call themselves Christian, but they preach false doctrine. You may have wondered about Jesus' confrontation with the scribes and Pharisees. Seven times in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! <clears throat> This is different than meeting unbelieving people in public or in private, because this has to do with the corruption of the body itself. Jesus did not disrespect the scribes and Pharisees or demean them, but he was very direct with them. He held them accountable to the scripture. He exposed their hypocrisy for all to see, and he called them out on it. We need to be prepared for this too. <clears throat> in one sense, Mennonite churches in our province have been doing this 
with Mennonite Church Manitoba when they withdraw from the conference and tell them why. And there may be other reasons why churches have left the conference, but one is that the conference is willing to fly the pride flag. And here again, we need to be prepared. Know what you believe, why you believe it, and be able to say, uh, to articulate that so that people can understand you. It'd be a good exercise if, if every week after church, you would, uh, one of you would play devil's advocate across the table from somebody and you practice having that discussion about why you believe what you believe. That'd be really good for us. We cannot shrink into the shadows and be content that, oh, that guy, he's going to do that for us and we'll just, we'll just sit over here. Have debates with each other. Sharpen your skills. Deepen your conviction. And you'll be surprised at what you learn in the process, how it enhances your thinking and it strengthens your courage. <clears throat> so now this fourth group that I want to add, and that is to distinguish between leaders and followers. Uh, we have seen how many are led astray, right? So in this Anglican communion, there are 30 provinces where those archbishops have decided to go with the Archbishop of Canterbury. And they are taking a lot of people with them who, if they were in a different, under a different Archbishop, might be under more godly leadership, right? Does that make sense? And so when we talk to followers, we don't have to be um, quite so hard-nosed and direct as we would with leaders. Then we want to still, though, hold them accountable to the Scripture and say, well, here's what the Scripture says. You say you're Christian, here's what the Scripture says. How do you, how do you reconcile this and this? And let them explain themselves and, uh, and then be ready to give some reasons why maybe that's not a good, a good interpretation. By the way, if you ever hear me say something that you think is contrary to Scripture, you better come talk to me. You better hold me to account. You better say, Victor, I read this in the scripture. What are you saying? It's good for the body because we all want to help each other to the finish line. And that's why we hold each other accountable so that we can together arrive at the finish line. So those are some things to keep in mind about people who do not share our Christian worldview. What else do we need to know or consider? Probably you should read a few biographies of people who have come out of the queer culture or who have moved from pro, uh, pro-choice to pro-life. Uh, Jackie Hill Perry wrote a book called Gay Girl, Good God and talks about how her, her move began with a relationship with Jesus. She was introduced to Jesus. She fell in love with Jesus and he took her out. Um, Rosaria Butterfield is a former English professor and she wrote The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. She too was, uh, was in the queer culture. Wesley Hill wrote a book called Washed and Waiting, uh, Reflections on, a Christ, on Christian Faithfulness and Homosexuality. He finds himself same-sex attracted, 
and has therefore then chosen to remain celibate and live out his faith in obedience to the word. Nancy Piercy wrote, Love Thy Body, answering hard questions about life and sexuality. Or there's also a read-up on Norma McCorvey. Uh, I don't know if you know who that is, but she is the Roe in Roe versus Wade, uh, the case that made uh, abortion legal all across the states. But in 1995, Norma McCorvey turned pro-life. Uh, and you should read her story. And those kinds of stories help inform us about what is going on in these people's lives. There are a lot of resources out there. Inform yourselves and get some understanding. Remember, we want to love them. And let your love be the first thing that they see that draws them out of darkness. One more look at what Scripture has to say here. What was read for us before. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel. Does this mean that I have to become a homosexual to reach the homosexuals? <laughs> no. Be careful about that. But you may become as one who does not fit the design. For me, it might be something like this. Identifying with such a person by acknowledging that there was a time when I too felt like I would have made a better woman than a man. I preferred being with the girls at school. I preferred being with my aunts at family gatherings. And I'm completely missing the sports gene. <laughs> How do you connect with the guys when you're missing the sports gene? <clears throat> or the hunting gene? I don't know. So find a way to identify with your searching friend. There's some place where you've got common ground and you've got a common struggle, maybe. Finally, let's remember the warning in Jude. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt, saving others by snatching them out of the fire, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. When you reach out to people, do it being fully aware of the dangers and doing what this passage says to avoid being influenced into the darkness. Reaching out is dangerous business, but we have been sent. We've been sent. We've been sent by the one who possesses all authority in heaven and on earth, by the one who also reached out and saved us 
from the pit. Let's be like him. Strengthen yourselves with knowledge. Hone your skills in articulating why and what you believe. Then with humility and grace, speak the truth in love. And four, stand firm against false teachers. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, this is a really tall order. We don't even necessarily want to hear these words because we know that it requires something of us. And yet on the other hand, we do see friends, family, who think they don't fit the design or some who outright reject it. Father, I pray that you would give us the grace and the courage and the joy to, to pursue relationship, to have relationship, to do the gardening that will allow people to entertain a different worldview than the one they hold. And then we pray, Father, that they would meet Jesus, that they would become, that they would come under the conviction of your spirit. We know that that is your work. And so we ask you for it. Go with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together again and we'll sing, We are called to be God's people.
The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. God bless you and have a good Sunday.